Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. One of the inspirations for this podcast came from a conversation with a good mate of mine and we were sitting around quite regularly at that point, catching up and just talking about all things life and growth and philosophical conversations and making changes and the amount of times we got to the end of that conversation and we would say man we should have recorded we should have recorded that there was so much wisdom there was so much gold in that conversation well this chat with Darren Lewis today was exactly like that as he said to me after we finished recording he, he probably wasn't in the best uh, time in terms of all the different things he had on, he didn't have time to prepare or do much research about who I, who I am and what I do. So it was very much just a conversation between two mates, although we'd never met before, talking about all things for him specifically around fathering his own journey of, of being a son and also then a father and everything he learned through that. Now, if you're a man, a dad or a woman and and a wife or someone who's got kids with uh, another man then there's going to be so much for you in this so much wisdom so much gold to be able to take away with you and learn from and also to as he said through the conversation it's not your fault whatever you're going through it's not your fault it's not the fault it's not no one's fault what they've experienced but we can absolutely take responsibility and make really positive changes one of my favorites because there was so much that I related to in my own journey. Enjoy this chat with Darren Lewis. Hey all, and welcome this week's guest, Darren Lewis. Darren, how are you? I'm great, thank you, Ian. Great to chat. Now, your brand, Fathering Adventures, I love it. I've got a feeling at some point I may have actually booked in to do one of your events, but then had something come up that that stopped us. Okay, tell us a little bit about that the the, the uh, experience that fathers get through your business, and then we can dig deeper into the story of where that was born and and the passion sure. you have for it. Sure. Yeah. Well. Um you know, the, the, there's a common saying, right, that we, uh, when, we're not given a handbook to being fathers, to being family. And, and a man's greatest fear is failure. And, um, and so 
where does a man feel strongest? Where does a man feel most like a man? It's at work. And okay, why is that the case? Because he's received training and instruction in the workplace, or he's done a trade, or he's done a university degree, or whatever it may be. And so he feels powerful. He feels like a man in those places. You put that same man in a home with a woman, with children, and um, quite often he feels like he's stumbling and tripping and and kind of, you know, making a meal of things and and just not just blowing it, you know, not. And so really um, when I started Fathering Adventures, I wanted to be able to help experientially equip men and empower men to be um, great dads and, uh, and and I didn't want to write a book uh, and I haven't um, and I didn't want to just go and do a bunch of workshops and, and um, seminars and, and things like that. I wanted to do it experientially because men learn best experientially. And so um, so we, we teach, we impart um, uh, everything that a dad needs to know about his son or his daughter between the ages of seven and 13 and 13 years and over. And then we give them a practical application that they now go and get to apply that and experience the fruit of that. Um, and, and, and that's set within the backdrop of a lot of fun. Everything we do has to involve fun because fun is extremely underrated um, and adventure. And so the greatest adventure, to be completely honest with you, is the greatest adventure is is um, is is building that connection between yourself and your son or your daughter. Um, that's the real adventure. But of course, we utilize outdoor adventures um, as well. So, and it depends on ages. Obviously, we introduce the outdoor adventure theme um, a, a lot more gentler when the kids are younger. Um, and to get help get the mums on side as well, like we're not going to break their kids. Um, but uh, as and as the kids get older, and, and and that's a part of their journey into becoming adults, is really um, the the adventures amp up a little as well. Um, you know, whitewater rafting, you know, um, snorkeling or scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef, you know, jet skiing, you know, all of these incredibly wonderful things. And of course, there's great memories that have constructed in and around all of that that we'll have for our lifetimes and. And so, um, but the heart of it, it's it's to um, to leave fathers and their sons and daughters for that older age group, um, knowing who they are, and um, and, and knowing how to live well. So that's probably the the the, the gist of it, a snapshot of of um, of what we offer uh, families. Fantastic and something that really resonated for me was that what you said there is like, well, we, we don't necessarily get shown what to do. We don't necessarily know what we do. And before we jumped on here record, you said like you worked out when you had kids, you didn't really know what you're doing. And I think most parents have faced that at some point where they go, like they're letting me take this thing home. Like what am I supposed to do now? And then it only gets trickier from then on. Right. Absolutely. It gets, I mean, look, my kids now are in their, um, like my youngest is still 19, turns 20 in July, but my eldest is like turns 29 in, in June and, you know, the other two are in between. And, and, um, and, the, 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 and, and we're empty nesters, you know, but the, the stakes get higher. So it doesn't end, you know, you're always going to be dad. And, and, but I love, you know, when you've really fostered that relationship, when you really, um, when they know that their dad is for them, 
um, they continue to pick up the phone. They continue to come over. We have uh, family dinner night every Sunday night in our home. Um, they all come from everywhere, wives and their kids, you know, and granddad now and uh, two, two grandkids. And and uh, we go over to my eldest son and his wife and a couple of kids um, place on every Thursday night for dinner. And, uh, you know, he runs his own business and he is not afraid to pick up the phone and say, hey, dad, facing a major decision here, what are your thoughts? And, uh, you know, and, 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 and that's all built off of, really focusing in on that relationship and making that relationship a priority because your relationship that you have with your kids is foundational to everything else. You know, mm. I quite often hear dads say, this is my best mate, you know, talking about his 10-year-old kid, you know, and you sort of think, well, he doesn't need you to be his best mate right now. He needs you to be his dad. But the good yeah. news is, is they don't, is you'll always be their dad, but there comes a time, you know, 25 maybe there, thereabouts, where they do become, you know, very good friends. You know, they become your equal. And and that's all about those um, seasons of fathering. As as they grow and change, your your fathering season needs to also change. You need to adapt and move with them. And and uh, so I'm I, I'm now I'm now able to say that I've got an incredible experience with all four of my kids. And are they perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. But we have a really great relationship um, with one another. In fact, we've just come back from a family holiday in New Zealand uh, where there are all 10 of us all cramped up for 11 nights in, a, in like a four-bedroom place. <clears throat> and, um, and it was just amazing. Again, were there moments where, you know, some, some things were, some buttons were pushed? Yes, there were. But, um, but it was so good and and so many good memories forged still and it's just they're worth investing in and relationship with them is worth investing in awesome uh, to me that's the greatest gift you get from investing in yourself is what it does for all your relationships mm -hmm. and of course your children mm -hmm. if we go back to your own journey because when we have so much passion for something like this which is clear that you do there's a backstory right so tell us a little bit about why you were inspired to create this wonderful business and project that you've got going like what unfolded for you as a as a young fella growing up yeah um <clears throat> so now here's the thing is i didn't know this at the time i didn't know it was it's only been as i've grown as i'm i've matured um that I began to realize the significance of this. Okay, so um, so let's before we get there then, was there a moment then or was there was there a passage of time where where you started realizing these things? Like what was what was unfolding for you then in life that had you reflect back on those times and notice? Yeah, I I, I became I there were there were a few years there where I became estranged from my dad. Um my dad, uh, he did the best job that he could. Um, he's, he's since passed away. He, he passed away, geez, 2004. So, you know, that's 19 years ago, um, this August the 13th. And um, so he, and he died from liver disease. And so you can kind of guess uh, what his biggest struggle in life was, and that was his addiction to alcohol. 
um, he would come home. Uh, he would. So he, my dad. Now this is from a from a teenager's perspective. My dad was a workaholic and an alcoholic. He was always at work. You know, I'd, I'd wake up early in the morning to get ready for school. He was all. He was well and truly gone. He was on a job site somewhere. He ran his own steel erection business, and um, so you know, used to build steel frames and and. Um, and then, of course, I'd come home from school with my brother come home from school and my dad would eventually come home when it was dark. Um, so all, every, all light hours, he was at work, absent, gone. And, and then um, when he would come home, he would come home and crack open a carton of beer and take his first drink whilst he's stacking the rest of the fridge with the other 23 stubbies. But he wouldn't need to put away all 23 because by the time he was loading up that his the final stubby um emptying that carton he had finished the first one and was cracking open the second one and he'd go and sit in front of the television and continue to drink um himself until they were all gone and so he did that every night of his life um and so i guess um that he he, in that um there were uh moments I, i wouldn't i wouldn't have described him as being a violent or an abusive dad, though there were times where there was definitely violence and definitely abuse. Um, most of the abuse was, there was physical abuse, but um, most of the abuse was in and around um, verbal, mentally, you know, emotionally. And um, I kind of just took it, you know, it's like we see the, we see the John Wayne characters, the Clint Eastwood characters on TV, they get an arrow to their chest or they get shot, you know, and they just keep on moving forward, you know, the William Wallace's, you know, you kind of, you just yeah. move on, you know, and, and so I, that's what I did. Um, that's how, that's what I learned. And, and, but I also knew that I was alone. I didn't have anyone in my corner and uh, met the love of my life. Um, we got married. Uh, we had kids and my, in the, before we had kids, my, uh, my dad would phone up and he would be, he would abuse me over the phone and, and I would listen and eventually probably hang up. And then at some point, you know, my wife would answer and he would be, you know, yelling abuse at her and she would hang up. And, so and just random, random abuse or? It was after he had gotten home after drinking for a bit. Um, yeah, just anything, just to lash out, just to hurt someone. Yeah, just, huh. it, um, and so uh, now to my great shame, I did nothing about that. And it wasn't until my eldest son was probably about two, he started picking up the phone and he'd be, oh, hello, granddad. And 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 I'm thinking, I'm not gonna have him. I'm not gonna let this go into the next generation. So I actually went around to see him and I just said, dad, you need help. Um, and until uh, you get that help, um, we, you're not welcome. Please don't phone. Um, I, I really hope that you will get help. I've tried to help you in the past. You've not been willing um, to, 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 to find help and to be helped. And um, so that's where, it, that's where it is. And then, you know, long story short is I began to get some phone calls from others who knew me and knew my dad and, and, um, and stories of him turning yellow and, you know, Seeing, seeing him in a hospital or seeing him not be able to walk right, you know, w- walking with a walking frame and, you know, still a young man. I mean, my, my dad died when he was 53. 
just be- wow. just before his 54th birthday. Uh, but he'd wasted away, skin on bone. Um, and so about four years before he, he died, I kind of, um, I, I went to see him uh, because I was urged by one of my friends to go and see him. And uh, and I just sort of thought, you know, you do get one dad. I don't want to have any regrets. I can't be responsible for his decisions, but I can be the best son that I can be. Um, and so I actually cared for him the last years of his life, um, which was full of, you know, more anguish at times. Um, yeah, it, it certainly wasn't easy, but I'm at least I can... I can hold my head high and say honestly, I have no regrets um, that that I that I saw my dad through to his final years. And um, and actually, there was this beautiful scene where um, he actually came. He actually went into a coma, and we were told that he had twenty four hours. The doctors called my brother and I up and said he's got twenty four hours to forty eight hours to live. Um, uh, he's in a coma. He won't be coming out of this coma. And um, the next day, I, felt, I just felt at peace. The, the nurse's station phoned up and said, look, we've moved your dad to his own room now. You know what's coming. Your rules no longer apply to you. You can come and stay with him and um, and uh, and just be there until the very end. And so I kind of had a peace that we weren't going to lose him that night. And so I went up the next morning. I made some preparations, cancelled a bunch of meetings and things that I had in the following you know week and... Um, and I went in and there was one meeting I couldn't get out of, but it was going to be a short one, so I thought I'd risk it. And, and so I took in a CD player um, for, de- for just to have some music playing in the background whilst I wasn't there. And as I walked past my dad, he was white, unshaven, you know, mouth wide open, um, you know, in a coma. But, you know, we hear stories, right, of, of and, and it's, it's a core belief of mine that though, you know, your body may be unconscious, your spirit's very conscious still, you know, stories of, um, you know, hey, I, I was in a coma, but I knew who was in the room. And so as I walked past my dad and saw him, and he was gravely ill, and I said, good morning, Dad, how are you this morning? And I started setting up a CD player, and um, and then my dad said, woke up. He, he said, yeah, good. And I've run over to his bedside. I grabbed him by the hand. And I said, Dad, I love you. And um, And he just nodded his head. And I said, Dad, I love you a second time. And he said, I like you too. Oh. And then he's, and then I said, Dad, I love you a third time. And for the first time, so I was 33, uh, first time in my life and only time in my life, I heard my dad tell me that he loved me. He said, I love you too. And he actually went on to say that he was so sorry for being a bad father. And I just told him, I, in, in, now this was all in tears, right? Um, you yeah, did the yeah. best job that you could. And I actually, I actually recalled, which was a miracle in itself, I recalled a moment where that I could share with him that he came through for me and he thanked me for sharing that with him. And it was actually wow. something that I had taken into my fathering, believe it or not. And uh, so I'm really grateful for, for having had that memory come to mind and also that moment with my dad, which was extremely precious. Oh, I got chills all the way through that like what a gift to give your dad like i don't know what your spiritual beliefs are but to be able to help him transition like that to make peace i was which, You're yeah like, and again i don't know like i know through my coaching there are times where i'm just like oh, what do i say here and then i just wait 
And then the answer will come like, where where has that come from? But that to me, that's yeah. that divine element where whether you believe in a God or where you believe in that divine part of you, there's something playing out that allows us to find those. Something bigger than ourselves, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and and may, may I say too, Ian, the, something, that, um, something that happened in, so my dad actually, would you believe, he, he would say, the doctors haven't come up to see me. And I'm like, what could I say? Well, they're not going to come and see you. They're done. You know, my dad was having a, had, had prior to the coma, was having a blood transfusion every day because his liver couldn't process the, the you know, couldn't clean the blood out, couldn't filter the blood out anymore. So he had to be transfused every single day. So now all of a sudden, after that going on for six, 12 months, um, he, they're no longer doing that. And he's like, I don't understand what's going on. I couldn't have that. I didn't have the heart to say, well, Dad, they're not going to see you again. Like, this is any minute now. I wasn't going to be cruel. And, and so but my dad ended up living another three weeks. And would wow. you believe after a week in hospital, he ended up coming home. And, um, and and we had him at home for a week before he said he needed to take me back. And he went into another coma and then died. But during that time, during that time, I got to know the reason why he was a workaholic and an alcoholic. And, and, and it's like we're kind of doing now, the importance of story. There's always a story behind, behind who a person is, behind the way we are the way we are. And, yeah. and so what I hadn't heard, and I probably had kind of in passing but really not, you know, as a teenager you're kind of not taking a great deal of notice. But, you see, my dad, when he was eight years of age, his 12-year-old sister was killed in a hit-and-run car accident and my dad believed it should have been him because it was his mother that came out to the back porch where his sister, he was playing with his sister. So my dad was eight and his sister was 12 and my dad was the only person in the family to have ever had a, um, a form of transport other than walking. He had a bicycle. And so his, his mum came out and said, Ian, would you ride across town? to that one bakery that your father will only eat that one type of bread from. Now, my dad, this is this is the crazy thing about this, and this is, I think, as a teenager, I couldn't understand. Mm. My dad hated his dad because his dad was the town drunk. So he hated, he was deeply ashamed of his dad. And so he said to his mum, no, I'm not going. And so then his sister said, I'll go, mummy jumped on my dad's push bike, rode across town, and, and that was the last they saw of it. It wasn't until he, after he'd come out of this coma, that he was telling me, after we brought him home, was telling me about hiding behind a couch and the two police officers coming to the front door, My his mother and father being there and hearing the news, mother collapsing, his father trying to hold her up. And my father, who was 53, about to die, is now sounding like an eight-year-old boy. And he's, he's sitting there and he's saying, um, they never invited me to the funeral. I wasn't invited to the funeral. I wasn't invited to the wake. You know, so in so, so my dad, and, and, and there's a really powerful scene in the movie uh, Goodwill Hunting. And in fact, the same kind of scene is, is played out in a number of sort of movies where ultimately the person who's suffering needs somebody to step in to say, hey, all of that, it was not your fault. And my dad never, ever heard that from his parents. And so as a result, he took on all of that guilt and shame. And what does a person do with that? You know, we're talking about grief. What does a person do with that grief? 
So he turned to the only things that he knew. He, he, he lived dangerously, you know, stories of riding motorcycles through fire and stuff, you know, like he lived dangerously. He worked hard, became very good at what he did because it's a distraction. And then when he couldn't work, he, he self-medicated. He anesthetized the pain by consuming alcohol. And, and so he was he lived the majority of his life, 45 years or so, of just avoiding what he was feeling. And, and so is it any wonder why the poor guy could not be a husband and could not be a father? So I guess that really, I think, I think you know, having the ability to have actually as an adult and, and, and somebody who had already begun to process his own pain, um, actually to, to, to be able to empathise and, 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 and not be so, you know, deeply emotionally scarred anymore that I couldn't actually help him, you know. There's that, there's that saying, again, it's used in movies, you know, where the student becomes the master. I mean, I effectively fathered my dad, you know, in, in, in his final years of his life. And wow. It's a, um, it was a privilege. Yeah, I bet. Darren, thank you so much for sharing that. I think, well, men and women, but particularly men who tend to hold it all in will get so much from that. And that phrase that you uttered, yeah, it's not your fault. It's one people need to hear. It's what men need to hear. And the amount of conversation, I'm drawn to one particular conversation, similar thing where this this young, this guy, when he was four, like another boy who was like, in inverted commas, looking after, drowns, mm. and he carries that guilt for the rest of his life. Like, how yeah. could that possibly be his fault? And yet, yeah. that's what plays out, and it plays out yeah. in all these different ways. And and which is why it's important for us to talk about it. Absolutely, you've got to be free from that. You've got to feel the pain, um, but but you also have to have like I was able to have an understanding of who my dad was I was able to forgive him before I knew that um but but to have an understanding of of yes you know um in in that instance this poor four-year-old boy was just a kid himself just a boy and and the reality is not to assign blame to anybody but how how should a four-year-old ever be responsible for you know to to take care of his younger younger siblings is something else going on there that that um so yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, and it can stunt somebody, and it can actually. I mean, one of the I love. There's a um, Henry David Thoreau said. Um, he said, uh, "What did he say?" Um, he said, "Paraphrase." Forgive me. Yeah, effectively, the um, uh, the, the the last part that I was going to share was. Uh, that's right. Most men lead lives of quiet desperation is the is the paraphrasing. And and what I would say today is that most men live lives live lives of quiet resignation. They resign their lives to be this is what it is, and it's just not going to get any better than this. But the the last part of that quote says, and they go to the grave with the song still in them. And so I believe that every single one of us has a calling, has has a mission for our life, has something to give somebody else, even if it's just one other person, to make the world a difference in that person's life. And um, and my dad went to the grave with a song still in him. He, he His destiny had never been revealed. And that's what these things do is they trap you in these places, in these dark places, 
um, where you're isolated, you're alone, and and you need to be freed from those places in order to discover your destiny and then and 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 live it out. You know, so so good uh, that particular quote that you're talking about the first time I heard that was from Les Brown and and it was one of those ones I listened to again and again and again it's like yeah no we we need to get our story out this is what I love about this platform right like it's be it's you sharing through your own experience all of the learning and all of the important parts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and again I thank you for for sharing so openly about your journey because it's the freedom like as men that we feel when we're able to talk and to be able to connect with other men and talk about what's going on and find ways, like you talked about when, when there's work, when you're at work, you've got a strategy, you've got a process to go and follow and away you go. And most men, they get reasonable success there, but then they come to the other parts yeah. and they're like, well, what's my strategy? What's my process? And I love that you're providing a window for that, to, particularly through that, getting them yeah. away from their day-to-day. There's a, there's a um, now I'm, in, I'm going to paraphrase this. There's a, there's a beautiful statement that comes out of a book called Iron John written by Robert Bly. Now, I've got to say I've not read the book. I own the book. I've not read the book myself. But I, but I had read another author that quoted this and effectively what Robert Bly says is he says um, that our, our greatest where our, where our greatest wound lies, that's where our genius, our greatest genius can be found. And so, you know, what, what, what would be really helpful for people to know and certainly what is true of my story and many other stories that I've listened to is that, you know, you don't have to remain in that deeply wounded place um, and, and that wound is a part of your story, but it's not the end of your story. And that, that wound can actually play a part in your ultimate destiny. And, and so um, it's really important to know that, that these things, you know, they hurt and, they've, and, 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 and you need to express the pain of that hurt. You need to feel that. Um, but it's, it, that's not the end of the story and it's not where your story ends. It's not, it's not where it's, you don't have to continue living in that place, but you can actually use that as a platform from which you can actually help others. And you see that time and time again, you know, on, on, on when, when you do hear good news stories, you yeah. know, there's usually, a, again, a story behind why they're doing what they do and there's a link to the Absolutely. pain that they've experienced. Absolutely. And actually I did a, an individual podcast about this a few weeks back about the hundred thousand hours we talk about ten thousand hours but when we've lived through pain and we've desired ourselves to come away from that pain and we see how that impacts others we've actually been observing the world through that pain for our whole life Mm -hmm. and exactly like you said when we can realize that on the other side of that is a gift you've already been using that gift Mm-hmm. just not in the way that you're giving any value mm-hmm. and when you can actually articulate it in a way that doesn't mean you have to go create a business like Darren's created it doesn't no, mean you exactly. have to go change the world bring it to whatever you're doing now yeah that that's where that's where we get that fulfillment and satisfaction that so many men are, are uh, not experiencing yes that's exactly right yeah do you mind if I uh, dig a little bit deeper just around some stuff around with your dad Darren no not at all Open book. Um, 
I don't know if you're familiar with uh, some of the uh, alternative ways of looking at medicine and, and like the Chinese meridians, for example, but around liver. But liver is where we store anger. Right. Uh, and particularly those big ones like the rage and the and those things that we just can't process. And again, I, I want to open this up because I know, again, it's what a lot of men deal with. If you've experienced something like that and at the same time you've also been subject to messages like don't be angry, don't be upset, uh, you've been told not to feel emotion, anger is a bad thing, all of those different things, and of course you're gonna, your body's going to retain all of that and you're going to hold yeah. all of that. Yeah, and absolutely. while not denying the fact that drinking a slab of beer a day is going to absolutely impact your liver, uh, just having that, that other element played out as well at another level. So I was really struck by him, him calling you specifically to vent all his stuff. There's probably an element of you always being that safe place for people to be able to do that because you do have that capacity just to hold so much of that in a, you said you didn't act on it and you said there was a shame to that, but whereas I think, well, no, no, like that's your ability to, without judgment, just receive that and process it for him would have been so valuable, which is why he kept calling back. It, it's it's actually something that, uh, yeah, look, I think, you know, where you sit in your family or just your personality or who you are, you know, who, how, who you've wide, been wired to be. Um, for me, I was the kind of peacekeeper, you know. Um, it, here's the thing is, get, get a load of this. <clears throat> Now, from a counselling perspective, I like to ask people, um, uh, so what's your earliest memory or your earliest two or three memories? So one, my second most earliest memory was my mum coming to me when I, now I was three. So my, my younger brother is four years, one month and three days younger. So I was three when this conversation happened. And I've since told my mum this and she couldn't believe that, she, that I remembered it. Uh, but I was three years of age, and she said, "And she said, now, now I, I knew my mum and my dad were, they, I mean, they were sleeping in separate bedrooms. They were not together. There were arguments. It was, it was very unhealthy, very toxic. And, but my mum came to me this day, and she said, um, your father and I've been talking, and we believe that it's time that you have a little playmate come along. You know, you're going to be a big brother." you know, to a little baby brother or sister. And um, and so, you know, what I internalised in that moment, I went, great. It's going to be me that's going to have to take care of this child. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Again, we spoke about your other friend, you know, your other guest who's four, was four years of age and, and what he carried. I mean, here I was, this overly sense of being responsible of, I just knew that my dad couldn't cope, my mum couldn't cope, and so I had to step up. And so I think for I think really right the way through my my relationship with my mum and my dad, I was always the peacekeeper. I was always the one that they could turn to. But again, that's not healthy, you know. It's 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 it's, it's um I I shouldn't have to carry and 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 that's actually something I had to learn when I started counselling others was when I first started counselling, I made the grave mistake of believing that it was all up to me. If I yeah. failed, then this marriage is going to fail or this person's never going to have the life that they were meant to have and all of that. And I was able to, thankfully, I was able to be freed from from that thought. But, um, yeah, it's it's incredible. The, it, and that's a really important point to share also for the for the empaths, for the uh, 
the peacekeepers of the world, that's exactly what you described there has been going on for their whole life, feeling responsible for other people's emotion. This might resonate. I remember having a recurring dream where it was like a, a fudding and it would go quicker and slower and but there was no pictures it was just really dark and just a fraction of gray a little bit of light coming through well what i realized through my own journey of of making peace with so much was that was actually a my first memory of being in the womb right coming out in the dream ah, and the stress right. that my mum was experiencing so so i'm already being responsible for how she's feeling from that yes. moment which to me is yes. mind-boggling or, or, or if not responsible you just being aware Ian, like yeah, that. And, yeah. and again, as, an, as a newborn baby or an unborn baby or a young child, you know, you shouldn't even be aware of those things. There should be some things that are kept yeah. from you. Yeah, absolutely. But then we grow these patterns of being responsible for how other people feel. And again, reinforced by the language that we heard and the messages we heard, you made me upset, you made me angry, all these different things. So how have you been able to I imagine that has been a pattern for you too, if that's been what you recognize from a youngster. How have you been able to process and make sense of that behavior and, and find improvement in that area? Well, I think here's the thing is I think that's a gift as well, right? So, uh, you know, there is, you know, to, to be able to listen to somebody, to be able to really listen, to really come to know. I mean, you know, when we, when we, um, my wife and I have counseled individuals and couples and so on, you know, really, the first step is to listen to them and then and then ultimately um, listen to their entire story because we, you know, we have to come to an understanding as people that our past has affected us and it affects our present and it will affect our future until the unresolved wounds of our past have been healed. And so, um, so look, th that's been a gift for me. But it's it's like I it's like I say though it's it can't be it's, it wasn't solely up to me. I mean, for starters, they have a part to play in their own healing. Are they willing to deal with some stuff? Some some people aren't. You know, it's that it's that saying, "Better the devil you know." You know, sometimes you can you, you're if if you're if you've lived long enough and and your identity is wrapped up, you know, as as being a, a victim of sorts, then then to let that go and to go into something that that is something other than that is scary. We talk about adventure. I mean, it's, there's a great deal of risk to let yeah. go of the, the, the identity that you've been carrying around for so long. Um, That's, um, couple, that, couple that with, you know, you mentioned, you know, spirituality. I mean, I do have a faith. And, and so I think that at the end of the day, part of my, I always say to people, um, actually, you're, you're meant to receive healing. Um, I'm but the midwife in this process. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to remind you to breathe. But the healing actually is going to happen, and, and that's my role. You know, So I, I'm able to kind of step back from it and go, it's not all up to me. Yeah. It's not. And, and, that was a wound that, and that was a wound that I carried, and actually it was a wound. So the, here's the thing is, is, it might have, my wound, my greatest wound might have started off being a father wound that, again, I was unaware of until I was about 30 years of age. But there was a wound that I became aware of at about age 37. And I came to learn that it's what, what I refer to as the all alone wound. And so, the, so with every wound comes a message. So, you know, we need to begin to listen to our own internal dialogue 
my my internal dialogue was always like, you're on your own. It's all up to you. I could never delegate anything. I, you know, I was a leader in my in my workplace, but but to try and delegate something, it was really, really hard. And guess what? They always let me down. And, and it was just like, it's just easier if I do it. And at least I know it's done right, you know? And it's like, whoa, hang on a minute. And so my dad kind of really was probably the first person to send that message to me. You're on your own. Because he was dealing with his own stuff. But but that message just kept on coming through my life and, um, and and it's amazing what agreements we make with those messages and how they become a, a, a vow that we have and and this self-fulfilling prophecy. And guess what? I was on my own because I kept saying it. I'm on my own, you know, and, and we've got to we've got to break free of that. We've got to be we've got to come to a place where we where we realize this is happening and and it was so good when I finally I begin to began to invite others into my story, into my life, into the work that I do. You know, giving other people opportunities was so rich, and and that was and that was hard. It wasn't something that came easy to me initially, um, but but at, the more you do something, the more you grow. And so I've have gotten a whole lot better in that space. Yeah, and I also want to shine a lot on something you've also got a whole lot better at because your ability to link those things too. I was, I was linking it in my head. I was going to ask the question, but you were doing the job for me. It's like, no, that sense of being alone is very much linked to the responsibility. It's very much linked to that workaholic thing because when we do trust someone and they don't get it right, we go, oh, yeah, exactly like you described. I should have just done it myself. Yeah. If, if I can really highlight something is you said that, that concept of better the devil you know mm-hmm. because we worry about what we might find if we start digging and poking. Mm-hmm. If if there's there's no better example than what you're talked about now is like when you do allow yourself the space to explore and realize it's not your fault, it's never worse on the other side. Mm-hmm. No, it's always no. better. And so there may be a fear of well, what what's on the other side? It's it's always better. Yeah. the The problem is is that um, so you know a wound. You, we know this from a boil. You know, you get you 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 know all of a sudden you got this little pimply type thing, and you're kind of digging at it, and maybe some germs get in, and all of a sudden it blows up to be this boil. Well, guess what? How is that going to heal? Right? The, the best way for it to happen is to actually lance the wound, clean it out, and and with us as human beings, we have these boils, and we may not see them; they might not be on our bodies, but they're a part of us. And those wounds need to be lanced and they need to be cleaned out. And, um, and so that's really important. It's, 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 it's really helped me. I think learning those things and, and having another father in my life, like a mentor um, who is older and wiser and who can listen to you but also challenge you on the way that you think is really important. And, and so all of a sudden you start to hear these things and you kind of go, okay. And I think, I think at the heart of who I've always been is I've been hopeful. I think hope is so important. When hope is deferred, the heart grows sick. And, and so just the, the hope that I've always had that things can be better. And it's risk. It's, it's risky. It's faith. You know, it's kind of stepping out, believing that things might be better. And, and, it, and you're right. You're quite right. They are. But I also, understand how hard for some it, it is. And I've seen it. I've, I've walked with people who, who've really struggled to step outside of that. 
Yeah, because because there's pain underneath. You know, when you go and lance your boil, guess what? It's gonna be it's gonna hurt. It's gonna sting. Sorry, but it's gonna hurt. <laughs> it's gonna sting. And and, yeah. and so there's that pain that that's there. And and who wants to really very few people really want to be the Indiana Jones kind of and and go straight into the pain, you know, face that pain and 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 it's it's most most of us just human nature we want to avoid pain and so those undealt with places those unresolved places within us we tend to not go there and it really does require an invitation and a guide and somebody to kind of say hey listen i i i get that that's gonna hurt but on the other side things can be so much better. And I think that's the importance of relationship again is to, to help build that trust with somebody. And, and that's what happened. That's the way it was with me to have a mentor who I genuinely believe loved me and, and, and I trust, trusted. And so when he, when he would help lead me through these processes, I was able to, um, to just go, you know, I mean, here's the thing is for me, I was like, well, I know it's like the matrix, the blue and the red pill, you know, it's, it's kind of like, well, I know where that road leads. That's, that's been my life for the last 30 years. I don't want to keep that, you know, yeah. that's not going to be healthy for my marriage. That's not going to be healthy, healthy for my kids. It's not going to be healthy for me. So I've got to take responsibility for me here and I've got to do the work and, and do whatever's necessary really to come out the other side of this and trust that I'm going to be okay. Trust that all the king's horses and all the king's men might be able to put Humpty back together again. You know, it's, yeah. yeah. People like you and I who have gone through these journeys, we still had our struggles before we actually did it, right? Like oh, absolutely. So, so it's like if you're looking, at, if, if you're someone listening and going, oh, well, you know, it's easy for you to say. It's like, well, it is now, but it wasn't like for the longest time. Like, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but the, the pivotal moment was my dad's passing, and that's just a couple of days ago was, um, what are we up to? Uh, 17 years, but it took a few years before I was actually able to do anything about it. And then even then it was like, I just resisted and resisted and resisted. So how did you overcome that resistance? Like, was there a, was there a moment or was there, you mentioned having kids was a big one. Was there, was that, was that a catalyst for you going, oh, I've got to yeah, make definitely. some changes here? Uh, yeah, definitely. You, you kind of, I didn't want to, I wanted to be different. In fact, I, I recall this moment when I was 17 years of age. So I got kicked out of home when I was 16. Um, and I'll own my part in this. I came to the dinner table one night provoking my dad. I didn't say a word, but I knew that doing what I did was going to get a reaction. I didn't quite realise the, the, the magnitude of the reaction, but... Um, an unwritten rule in our home, my family of origins home, was always have a shirt on at the dinner table. Now, I came to the dinner table without a shirt on and my dad flipped his lid. I mean, he went right off and he kicked me out of home. And I actually lived out of home for more than 12 months. Wow. Um, and uh, the only reason why I went back home actually was um, – 
because I mean, there's a long story in around that, but I, I'll skip that. But the the long and the short of it was my mum left. My mum left my dad, and um, and I, so I phoned up my dad to give him a bit of a serve, to be honest with you, because because the because the long story was that that actually he'd invited me to come back, and he said that he was going to seek change. Um, <clears throat> just two days earlier. And so I took my younger brother with me to clear out my place to move back home. And now all of a sudden my mum's moved out and my, and my mum said, that's it, I'm done. And I, so I phoned my dad to say, hey, you've just wrecked it again, you know, like, because again, there was still this desire even at 17 years of age of, I just want my dad to, I just want my dad to, uh, to, to, to want to get help for me, you know, like it, let's make it personal. And and so anyway, um, that didn't happen. And I realized I needed to move into home because I spoke to my brother and I said, okay, so this is the story. Where do you want to live? And my brother said, well, my dad's the one with the, that's got money. Like mum's got nothing. Like, well, I'm going to live with dad. And I'm like, oh, great. All right. So I need to move back home to protect my younger brother and to be a parent to my younger brother, which wow. I've got to say, did not go well for my relationship with my brother because I, I was never a brother to him. I was always a parent to him. Um, but that's a side story. But I recall this particular um, evening when my dad was drunk and he was standing over. We, we had a sunken lounge and he was standing on the top end of the sunken lounge and I was standing in the sunken lounge looking up at him. And he had drool coming down the side of his face and he just started talking about my mother and effing slut and that type of thing. And, and I, I, just, I just said, that's my mother. I won't have you talk, to, talk about her that way. She's not here. Um, leave her out of it. And she, he kept taunting. And, um, and I, just remember, um, I just remember looking up at him and going, I will never be like you. I will be a good husband and a good father. But again, I didn't know how. So I found myself married at the age of 20. I mean, we've been married for 32 years now and, and or coming up in June. Um, and um, we, uh, I didn't know how to be a husband. I didn't know. And when we had kids, you know, I was a dad at 23. And I, so I didn't know how to be kids and be a dad to kids. I just knew what not to do. And, and so, but thankfully there was a man in my life who gave me a copy of a book um, and, and the little subtitle of top copy of the book was a father's role in guiding his sons into authentic manhood. And I just remember looking at that going authentic manhood, like what's that? <laughs> and, yeah. and, and what a father, he's meant to do more than, than go to work and provide financially for his family and provide the discipline that the kids need. Like there's something else required of me. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued, began to read the book, reached out to that guy who ended up becoming that mentor to me. And, um, and yeah, uh, the rest is history. But yeah, there's certainly that desire of that, that I always had long before I had kids of, I want to do this differently. I want to do this better. I don't want my kids to ever feel the way that I felt growing up in a home alone, having to defend my, you know, protect and defend my mother and protect and defend my, my brother. And um, I, I, I wanted my kids to have a healthy childhood you know where they could be children where they could be who they are unedited without you know society and me specifically trying to shut them down in in places and my wife was very helpful in and around that but um 
you know, for the most part, what did I do? I effectively said to my wife, hey, your parents have been married for 29 years before um, uh, bef before her dad left. Um, and my parents have been married for 16 years and that was never functional. You appeared to come from a good home. So I'm just, you know, delegating and abdicating to you and whatever you think works for marriage and families. And, and eventually when I was fathered by this mentor in, in how to be a man, how to be a dad, um, how to be a husband, I was then able to um, come back to my wife and say, listen, I'm really sorry for abdicating and really being passive and absent, um, you know, and, and, and so I, I just would love to kind of, you know, play a part in our family moving forward and everything changed when I, when I did that. But again, I needed somebody to teach me, yeah. you know, when we're talking about one of the stories earlier on, um, the thing is, is that we're too close to our own stories. You know, we, that, that, that saying, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees. Sometimes it just needs another person, another man to kind of look in and he can see things that are really evident that we can't see when we look in the mirror ourselves. And so, you know, we need others. And, 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 and here's where that wound that I had of all alone wound. Now, if I'm telling myself I can't rely on anyone else, it's all up to me, I'm on my own, guess what? I'm not going to have mates. And so those mates or mentors, um, they're not going to be able to speak into my life. Well, so it's, it's actually kind of shutting me down and, and preventing me from coming, becoming who I was. So it does, it requires a great deal of risk to let somebody else in. And I remember a time where, where I actually um, was sharing my story with somebody, again, before my dad passed away, years before. Um, well, actually, it was only a couple of, it was only probably about 18 months before, actually. But I remember sharing my story with him because he'd asked. And it, it, it was amazing. Like, I, I, I'd known this guy for about 10 years and, and he's a good man. And he just, and so I, for the first time ever, though, I began to see things in me. And so I'm sharing my story and I, I felt my eyes begin to water up. And I just went, I closed my eyes and then continued the story. I just sort of sucked it in, you know, sucked it up. And, and, and he goes, he was a good friend. And he just said, Darren, I've known you for 10 years now. That is the closest I've seen you come to cry. Did you, did you just see what you just did then? Yeah. And, I, and for the first time ever, I know it had happened before, but I've never seen it before. But for the first time ever, I'm like, yeah, I do. And and I said, great, it's going to be another 10 years before this thing cracks open again. And, and, <laughs> and, and so he said, well, let's just let's just see. Like, mate, let's just go back and begin sort of in and around that part of your story. This time I was aware um, when it came because it came again. And this time I consciously chose to just let it out. And honestly, it was like the, you know, Pandora's box, you weren't sure, you know, letting the genie out of the bottle, you're kind of like, <laughs> what is going on? I don't know where this is going to end. This could end badly. Like, um, but I just sort of thought, well, I, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to trust this man that's listening to me. And I felt like I cried for about five minutes. He tells me it was about 60 seconds, uh, but it felt like five minutes. It felt like an eternity of, of just weeping and just and being embarrassed about a man crying because men we're told right men don't cry mm. and so he, and i remember waking up they actually went in and woke up my wife um 
And I said, honey, I just cried. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's great, honey. Yeah. <laughs> but the next morning I woke up and I looked in the mirror and the windows of my soul had been cleaned. It was I, the, the, the best, the best uh, analogy that I have is growing up I had a, a few issues with earwax and, um, you know, so sometimes I had to have to go to the doctors and have to get this, them syringed. And when that happened, if somebody said a word that had S in it, it would be like them running fi- their finger around crystal. You know, there was just this sharpness, this clarity. And now all of a sudden I'm looking in the mirror and I'm seeing things with greater clarity because I, I allowed myself to stop trying to control. Un, unbeknownst to me, I mean, here's the thing is, you spoke about anger. Well, a lot of anger comes out of the fact that when we finally come to realise that we can't, got no control. And, and so we, we so, but, but most of us aren't aware that we like to control things. And nearly every man especially, women too, but, but nearly every man especially likes to begin to create a life for himself that he can control. And, and it's really sad, actually. There's a death of something because as a boy, most kids love to get outdoors and explore and, and engage in adventure. And then you see them get older and responsible. Now, responsibility is a very good thing, so long as it's not overly responsible. And then, and, and, but, but they start controlling their lives. And, um, and, and so you don't, won't let something like that happen. And, it's, and that's the tragedy. I can't remember who said it, but there's, a saying, there's this quote that I remember, and it says, the tragedy of what dies inside of a man whilst he is still living. And you see yeah. that time and time again, you know, yeah. in men's lives where they just don't want to change. And that breaks my heart. And Yeah, me too. Because we know what's possible on the other side, right? Absolutely. Um, and there's something that the world may never experience because they don't want to change. You know, they don't yeah. want to open up, open themselves up and begin to believe that somebody might be there for them and might want to be a true friend and want nothing from them. And there are people out there who are willing to be just that for them. So good. Uh, I was struck by what you said there about the the, the father figure that came into your life that something I've been playing with just recently and I haven't worked out exactly how I'm going to articulate this, but the the concept of rich dad, poor dad and the non-financial version of that is what we provide through that space, an alternative view of the richness of what's possible for life. It's got nothing to do with money, mm-hmm. but at the same time inexplicably linked as well. Mm-hmm. But it's that what we have gone through and what we've overcome it comes back to that thing that you mentioned before. There's that, that gift in that. And being able to have those people, fathers, as you are very much focused, father figures to come in and be able to be that that rich dad that gives a different perspective. Like yeah. what a gift. So if you look at what you do, it's the gift they get for them but the gift that they are able then to pay forward to every other man that they touch from having undergone that experience, like what a gift to the world. Yeah. My, my, so my mentor, the, the, the one whose book I read and changed my life, um, 
his his surname's actually the same <laughs> as mine. Like it was, it's literally a father from another mother. Okay. Um, uh, but he, um, I, I still right. So obviously, you know, at the end of every uh, adventure that we run, you know, we have and and you know, I do a lot of other things other than the adventure stuff um, with the fathers and sons and fathers and daughters, but. Um, after, certainly after every adventure that, that we run, and maybe not every event, maybe it's maybe it's once a, once a year I'll reach out to him and just sort of say, hey, listen, thank you on behalf of these people. Like because um, because of you and the investment that you made into my life, I'm passing it forward. I'm, I'm you know, I'm giving that on and, 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 and now here is some of the fruit of other people's lives that they're experiencing because of you investing into my life. And that's exactly the way we can change. In fact, one of the things he did, he, he quote, he, one of the things that, that, that he did was, um, you know, right in the beginning. So 1999, <clears throat> it was, he, he, like he had some resources and one of the resources quoted um, Confucius, right? You know, this ancient Chinese proverb and it said this, it said, if you want to be happy for an hour, go fishing. No, sorry, take a nap. If you want to be happy for a day, go fishing. Though that's never been my experience personally, except for when <laughs> I went fishing out on the Great Barrier Reef once. Um, if you want to be happy for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want to be happy for a lifetime, help someone else succeed. And that's exactly what he did for me and countless others. And it's exactly what I want to see. <clears throat> um, you know, that's what that that's really when it all boils down. That was one of those things that that just that grabbed me. It's just like, okay, I want to make the biggest amount of impact as possible, uh, but I certainly want to start by helping one person. So I helped one person. Then I started helping another person, and another person, and another person, and. And then in the end, you know, ultimately fathering adventures because once something else that he quoted was um, he, he after after um, millennia, sociologists and anthropologists, um, after studying cultures down through the ages, right the way around the world, um, agree on this, that as goes the man, so goes the society. Now, that's not to say that women don't play an invaluable part. Equal, but different. And, and so, um, so as a result, my my desire to really help men specifically came out of that, you know, because I think, well, if, guess what? If I can help a man, I can help his marriage. If I can help a man, I can help his family. We can actually begin to to really sort of implement change by by helping men. And um, and then look, women needed help too. And and thankfully, women are getting a lot of help. You know, there's some really excellent you know there's a lot of funding now for women and so on um for, for that and and you know seeing them become more and more equal and see that that uh you know disparity kind of lesson and it's it's just um so some good things are happening with women and some good things are happening with men people like yourself and and gus warland i think it is you know like they're kind of just bringing bringing these things to the purpose uh, to the forefront and saying hey men need one another you, men need mates yeah. and we can't continue living isolated from others because mm. um, we're, we're always meant to be together. The community, yeah. Absolutely. 
I, I love working with men. I also love working with women because you can also have a really positive impact impact in a relationship and in a in a home by whoever gets the shift, right? So I want to ask you about this because a lot of this has been focused around your dad. But how how was your relationship with your mum through all of that? Specifically, I guess through that lens of the of the guilt that you felt. And then how have you been able to move forward with that relationship as you've gone on this journey? Challenging. <laughs> One word, challenging. Um, my mum's still alive. Um, uh, she, she was the product of, um, uh, now I loved her dad. My grandfather was actually like a father to me. He fathered me in ways, you know, he was a tin miner. He took me out, taught me about geology. He was passionate about that. He, and I shared that passion with him. Um, it was infectious. And, but he was, he was a really good grandfather, but he was not a good dad. And as a result, my mum was very broken. And, and here's the thing is too many people come together in marriage thinking that marriage is going to solve them. You know, marriage is going to be better. It can actually be worse. And I'm not, I'm not trying to steer anybody away from marriage. The reality is, is we've got two broken people coming together and the hope that just them coming together is going to make everything okay is insufficient. Yeah. The brokenness in each of them has to be fixed in order to, for them to come together and have a whole marriage. And so my mum um, courtesy of her dad. I mean, my mum, when she fell pregnant with me, my dad kicked her out. Oh, sorry, my, her dad kicked her out. Her dad says, big wide world out there, out you go. Whoa. And I mean, hello, like, that's not the father's heart. Like, oh my goodness. And so, um, so yeah, look, she, she was, you know, I talked about my, you know, I'm on my own. Well, she had hers, you know, it's like, and she rose up and she became, you know, like a crustacean, right? Had this hard outer shell um, to protect herself. So she didn't trust her husband, my dad. He didn't come through for her in the way that she needed him to. Um, again, I was kind of piggy in the middle. I was trying to, uh, like, trying to keep everything afloat, you know, keep everything okay and 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 it wasn't okay. okay and it was never going to be okay and so um as an adult i mean look we've had some i mean there's some stuff that that um uh that i probably won't go into because she may even listen to this um but the long and the story short is is that um she uh has she's quite um Bitter, you know. You know when when I said the better the devil, you know, I've had my mum at times on on the cusp of 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 just letting it all go, of just forgiving. You know, I remember sharing something. I, I think it might have been that story I shared with you about my dad just before he died, like after coming out of that coma and what he said. And I, I shared that with my mum, like probably only a few years ago, so 15 years after he died, so let's say, and uh, I thought she would have been able to handle it and she, there was just this venom that rose up in her and and it was just, it was awful, it was ugly and 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 it is, she, she, she tries, she tries really hard to to do the right things and to say the right things 
but there's so there's been a, a there's a there's a pollution in inside of her that she doesn't want to acknowledge and have mopped up and and really let anybody else into that to kind of she's got this these walls and and that's that's again the tragedy um i don't know whether she'll ever kind of so as a result to be honest with you most of my conversations with my mum kind of go with me initiating a phone call because it's the right thing to do and her trying to start off at least being nice before then there'll always be somebody in her world that's upset her or whatever and just the venom that just drips out of and, and sometimes because I've I've tried going the other way to sort of say, hey, mum, you've got to, this is unhelpful. I mean, I do say that still, mum, this is unhelpful for you and it's actually not hurting the person that you want to hurt. Like, the, you know, do you want to try another way? No, and just more bitterness and yelling and I end up putting down the phone. I sort of put down my phone and, and I'll, I'll kind of just like, I can hear her still, like even, it's not on speaker, it's just, but I can hear her and I just kind of like wait about 90 seconds and I'll pick up the phone again and say, hey, I'm really sorry, mum. So a lot of time now, because she doesn't have anybody, she's on her own. And so, you know, for, for a, a woman especially needs a man that she can just sound off of. Yeah. And she doesn't want to necessarily be it, it fixed, you know. And so I've learned enough to know now that I just have to love her for where she is at and not try and fix her. But at the same time, challenge her, and um, and I guess um, she started to have like there's there's a friend that's come into her life, and she's a good friend. She's a good woman, and I answered a prayer because I mean there's some things that you know um, that that she might be able to speak into that maybe my mum won't let me speak into. So Pro um, probably the same things you've already said to her, but sometimes we just need to hear that different absolutely, voice. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> But but all of that to say, my mum is 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 one of my greatest cheerleaders. I mean, it's almost embarrassing. Um, you know, I I just happened to to be the recipient of Queensland Father of the Year back in two thousand and eleven. I remember my mum was in council at the time, yeah. and you know, I'd gone to Brisbane. There's a function down there where I was named. Came back to Townsville. We were having a family barbecue down down at one of the parks, and the, there was this family that was walking past and and my mum sort of stopped and went up to this family and said did you know my son just became Queensland father of the year and, and it's like oh mum like they really don't care like leave them be they're going for a walk and and so all of that to say she's my she she, she loves me and she loves what I do and she's so incredibly proud of me um uh I I I you know, I, we don't get through this life unscathed, and um, I still think there's um, uh, that there, there's a mother wound there that that still has yet to be. And that's the thing is where there's always something new. There's some, yeah. there's there's another pass, and um, you know we're like onions, right? And, yeah. And um, yeah, donkey got it right got it right when he was talking to Shrek, you're like an onion, you know? And, and so, um, so yes, we're they just, you pull back the layers and there's something else. And, mm. and I don't know, um, I've not been able to put my finger on it with my mum. Um, 
I'm just trying to love her as best I can, as as we do with people that are a little prickly. Again, there's reasons why. Yeah. And sometimes they don't want to let go of that, you know. Um, I would I would argue that just being there and listening to her vent would be hugely valuable and healing in itself. And you're probably having a, a far more positive, yeah, a far yeah. more positive impact than maybe you're giving yourself credit. Again, come back to that the the ability for you to hold space and, and lessen the load for her while she she processes that. I, I think again, it's another skill that that too many men have lost or don't identify that as being a skill. But it is it's it's one of our greatest gifts to be create that safety and allow people to to process in whichever way is right for them. So yeah, I think I think my mum is always uh, ready for a fight. You know, she's kind of got she's she, it's like she's always in the stance, just waiting. You know, it's it's like at, when she left dad. You know, it was like a, uh, it, it was like motor mechanics. You know, they they take advantage of the woman. They think that we know nothing, and so they're going to double the price. And you know, there's just all of this is always an a fight and always an argument. And I'm not a I don't, I don't enjoy fighting. I mean, once upon a time, used to love it, used to get in amongst it. But now, you know, it's like Bruce Lee said, um, and I always taught my kids this, and I, I did teach my kids how to fight because I do believe it's important to to defend yourself. But um, but I also always couple it with uh, Bruce Lee saying the best way to win a fight is to not be there. <laughs> You know, and and so you don't don't get in a fight, and you've won the fight. You know, like so. Um, and I just think, so I, I tend to try and avoid. I'm I'm more of a a peace person. You know, like let's just life is meant to be lived and enjoyed, and and like there's yes, there's there's evil in the world. There's bad things happen, and there's messy stuff, but. But it's not all bad. Like, and 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 some, sometimes it's just a, per, a perspective shift. You know, if you just and sometimes I'll do that. I'll just say, "Mum, like, have you have you thought of it from this angle?" And she'll go, "No, I hadn't actually. Yeah, I can see that now. You know." And so there's just little, you know, just uh, I, I think whenever you work with anyone, I, I like I liken myself. I've, I've said like a midwife before, but but another another way to do it is, uh, and I think especially. Uh, with a woman it's really important uh, but men too I probably shouldn't specify uh, gender there but uh, like a um, uh, what are they called uh, like a um, the guys you know they, they, they uncover um, uh, dinosaurs and and and, and yeah. art, uh, precious artifacts you know and and they're just kind of like got the little brushes you know because they're not wanting to damage anything I think we we need to be like that we need to be tender when we go into those unearthed places yes. those vulnerable places um, archaeologists we, we need to be like an archaeologist and 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 be very careful and cautious and tender um with them so in so many ways kind of just chipping away with my mum um yeah yeah not there yet haven't arrived see we're all unfinished people you know we're, we're 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 all in this in this story from beginning to end but 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 we're not we're somewhere in between and that's where i'm i'm at with my mum but cool. love thank her you thank you for sharing um again i would reiterate the safe place that you create for her as she goes on that journey as well um 
we should be like an archaeologist when we are looking after our own stuff as well and not feeling mm -hmm. like it needs to be uh, cutting and slashing, but actually just uh, gently uncovering it and being patient with ourselves. Yeah. So I love that analogy. And trusting um, that somebody else can be like that with us as well. Um, absolutely. It's like I, say, it's, look, I, I, I do a lot of self-reflection stuff, but, um, you know, I, I can't emphasise enough the importance of having somebody else, you know, be that for you and 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 not necessarily a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband though those those are possible but just you know uh, i think women need female friends and men need male friends and 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 again finding that person you can really trust to begin to open up with and and hopefully um because here's the thing is every single human being has a desire to be known and to be accepted once they're known. There's a fear that if that person really knows me, then they're not gonna like me. So, but if, but if, but, but on the other side, to actually know that you are known by somebody else and they still choose to love you and accept you and call you friend is such a, you talk about riches, you know, that is, that, that is an extremely rich man right there. Love it. Love it. Um, you brought up a word that I was about to ask you about and you used that word again, trust. And it actually like a, I noticed a, um, a bit of a uh, clearing or a catch in your throat when you mentioned it a couple of times before. Now, clearly to me, you're someone who actually creates trust really quickly and, and, and with people that you've rarely met. How important is trust for you and for the, what you see in changing the world? through bringing more trust? Um, I think I think trust is essential, but sadly, there are a lot of people we shouldn't be trusting. It's, it's, it's this paradox, you know, it's, it's yeah. this, this and, and, I, and so I think, you know, but again, you can't trust somebody that you don't know and so that's why when I say, you know, no, I'm an open book, I, I just sort of think the more that you can share it, so you've got to model it, right? You, you know, you kind of, so when I when I had somebody come and see me um, and I want to get to know them and to, to be able to help them, the best way for me to do that is to model it. So I kind of let them know what we're going to do, the how, the why, um, and then share a little bit about my own story of of how I needed somebody there for me, and and so that's how I try and build trust with others. People still have a choice to trust me or not. Um, I don't give away trust easily, and I don't think we should. I've seen people, you know, they're once bitten, twice shy, and I, I think I've had this happen to me. I think I've trusted people, and that trust has was um, not handled well. And um, so I think, you know, my advice to to people when we talk about trust is, is take your time, get to know them. And because we're always putting out, we're, we're, all, we're all wearing masks, right? That the, the, the true us is, is very rarely, the true person that you meet is very rarely the person that you're seeing. We, we're, we all project an image, um, and wear masks on what we believe that you want to hear or see or 
believe about you. And, and so um, take the time to get to know a person, um, walk with them, see them in uh, when crises come, you know, um, how they handle those things, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in mentors. And I, I've had, like, there's this one guy that I approached, it, it would be 20 two years ago now i'd say 20, 23 years ago yeah. and, and uh this other guy and, and and so this guy was i just i was a bit of a hugger i'm probably less of a hugger today um but but i i kind of um remember i, I went up and grabbed this guy and hugged him and he was an older guy and good man you know and i just I, but there were some things that i that i thought oh i don't like that about you but but I really loved the way he, I just, whenever I was near him, whenever I embraced him, there was just a peace that he had. And so I just, I asked him, I said, hey, would you mind mentoring me in how I said, I don't have the peace. I see the peace in you that I don't have in myself and I want that. So would you mind us getting together regularly, like meeting every week? Um, and, and just, I don't know how long it's going to go for, but would you be up for that? And he goes, yeah, of course. And um, so, and it probably only went for six weeks or so. And then I kind of felt as though I took everything from him that I really wanted to take. But, um, you know, you, you, you kind of, yeah. So I think you've got to really get to know the, the a person before you extend that that trust. I mean, but trust is a risk and sometimes trust can be broken. Um, and, 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 but the, again, the danger is, is to never trust, and um, and, and that's that is one of my concerns for our world today. Uh, you know, we live in a world of social media, and um, so we're definitely putting our best faces forward in those places. And so, <laughs> yeah. will yeah. you, you know, all of these friends that we have, and yet, how well do you really know them? And so, do you trust those people really? You know, maybe you shouldn't. You know, because sometimes people have some ulterior motives. Um, but I think you get a general gist of someone when you're around them long enough to just know this is a person I can trust. So they may be hard to find, but they need to be sought after anyway. And yeah. and you don't give up just because the first person wasn't somebody that you thought you could trust, you know, find somebody else. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well said. Uh, what you described there is why often when I put out posts about my uh, – most challenging times they're so well received because people are like oh yeah like they want to I see real yes that's <laughs> right we all yeah. have them we all have those yeah. moments and yeah and i think uh, that's it authenticity and that's what actually is so very important is 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 that person authentic um, yeah yeah and again and that's why it's kind of nice to to get to know them so that you're actually seeing them in all kinds of facets not just the in the controlled environment that you might create where you seem to be somebody that knows what they're doing and so on but actually i mean some of my some of the greatest adventures that we've run that have had the greatest maybe not the greatest level of impact but had, had great impact have been where things have gone wrong <laughs> yeah. so you know one one example was we we ran an adventure in melbourne it was father daughter adventure we had people come from perth adelaide um down from queensland New South Wales, people had flown in, drove for hours to get there and and we're setting up and the, we're in Melbourne in out of out of southeastern Melbourne and, and these lightning bolts came out of the sky 
not a cloud in the sky, but lightning bolts. They started two fires at different ends of the ends of this ranch that were burning towards the ranch. We had to what? evacuate, and and uh, everything went wrong. Like effectively, like we were had to be evacuated to a park in a nearby suburb and wait until we heard. We were there for hours before eventually I phoned them and they said, look, the rural, rural fire brigade has moved in. We've taken over this place and um, and you, and we're closing. We're closed for the next week. And we're like, well, I've got, I've got like 16 father-daughter pairs here from all over the country. Like what am I expected to do? And, and, um, and, and in the end, uh, they, they put me in, into someone in the city and we lost a bunch of it. There were like four father-daughter pairs that are driven down from Wodonga. And so they're like, the reason why we live up there is because we don't like the city. And so we don't want to go into the city to do this father-daughter adventure. We're going back home. And, and so we lost a bunch of people and it was, and I, and I knew it was going to be costing us because we, we, those are literally cost price. And so, uh, but I held my cool and I, and I just, um, we, we went, we proceeded, we kind of had to make it up on the fly. By the time we got in the city, it was like 11 o'clock that night. So the Friday night session had gone. We had to rejig everything and um, we had to find an outdoor, like some some form of adventure activity in the city. And, of course, everything's booked, you know, the uh, kayaking down the, the, the Yarra River and stuff. It's all booked. And, and so but holding you cool and just the dads being able to say to their daughters, hey, we can make plans, but sometimes things don't always go wrong. And just the just the feedback that I got from all of the dads just saying, we can't believe how you handled that. That was incredible. And so I think, again, being making Good. yourself available for, for people to see you at your very best and at your very worst and everywhere in between, I think is really important to help build that trust. Fantastic. Darren, I could literally just keep chatting all day with you. I'm going to wrap it up there, though. So, so much gold out of that. I've I always write down some little notes about what I'm going to use for highlights. Uh, I've got so many, so many <laughs> important messages for people to hear, uh, which I'll be sharing out, and, and of course, I'll send some of those for you to share if you feel called. Of course. Where can people find out more about you? You said you do the, the fathering adventures, but you also do other stuff as well. Where can people find out more about you and, and where would you steer them towards to, to if they wanted to connect with you? Yeah, look, I, I, you know, if you read all of the, the, the pop, all of the stuff that, you know, you should be doing, it, it should be, you know, there should be a DarrenLewis.com or something like that. I don't, I don't know. But the, the reality is, is, is I don't, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, what I do and how I do it and everything does come through relationship. And so um, uh, public persona would just be the, the fathering adventures side of things. So, you know, the web, our website's fatheringadventures.com.au. Um, but you can go on there, whether it's fathering related or not, you know, and um, quickly there's a contact us little section there that sends me an email or there's my email address there, phone numbers there. So that's probably the best place where people can get a hold of me if they wanted to chat about something, whether it's related to fathering or not. Good man. Darren, thanks so much for sharing so openly. Like I said, so much wisdom and gold here for people listening. And uh, I really- Thank you for doing what you do. I really appreciate just, you know, for to help people process their own pain, but but also just even having some steps, you know, and, and, and sometimes hearing a num number of stories 
it's just if, if they just move one step closer to facing something that they wouldn't have faced otherwise, um, you know, then you've made that, that, you know, changing one person, make a difference in the life of one person, you know, it's worth it. Right. Uh, well said. Well said. So thank you for doing what you do. Appreciate You're it. Welcome. And thank you again. I appreciate the, the time and, and everything you've shared. Thanks. That's welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the grief code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.